Without further ado, welcome to the Cannabis Incubator Podcast. Today we have Holistic Oasis with us, three representatives from that company. They're going to tell us their origin story and we're going to see where the conversation takes us from there. So without further ado, if you all want to introduce yourself, we can get started. And Sal, we'll start with you. Okay, yeah. So um, cannabis is kind of, you know, it's been a passion of mine for a very long time. Um, I'm born and raised in New York and Yonkers, um, but me and Alyssa, we decided to uh, to move out to the West Coast actually in, in uh, 2019 and go to Seattle. So we lived there for a couple of years and and during my time living there and seeing what a you know a recreational legal market can look like, um, it was a lot of fun and and a lot of um, learning all at once. Really, um, you know, when you when you have a, a legal market, you have such a wide variety of access to products. So it was it was really great to to go there and and see what a legal market looks like. And then uh, both of us actually ended up getting to to work in shops. I got to manage a shop in Seattle, so that was that was a lot of fun. I ended up doing ordering for products, um, you know, meeting with vendors, um, running the store essentially. So that was a lot of fun. That's where I started out with my experience in cannabis. Um, we had moved back to New York in in January of 2022. Uh, Holistic Oasis was already kind of getting off the ground with Andres, uh, Tommy, and and Santiago, and me and Alyssa joined in uh, pretty much as soon as we got back in January, and and uh, it's been been rock and roll since then, you know. And uh, how about you, Alyssa? I, I apologize. I should have done ladies first. That's my bad. But uh, yeah, well, it's your origin story here, and then we'll get to Andres. Yeah. So like he was saying, we moved to Seattle in 2019. Um, I spent about two years working in a shop in Seattle. Um, got to meet some really great people, learned a ton of information about the industry and just had such a great experience, um, able to try a lot of different products and um, get an understanding of what a legal market can look like. And now we have the opportunity to bring that experience to New York. So it's really exciting. Andres? Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, um, I'm better on the uh, automotive industry, uh, cannabis enthusiast, and, and I've been consuming it since my teenage years and uh this opportunity just kind of fell on my lap with my brother and tommy uh we were having the conversation of it would be nice to see how a regulated market develops here in new york and when the mrta passed we were really just brainstorming to see how we can get our idea a different experience to a customer whether it's a seasoned customer or a new customer into a store environment not a street or a corner anymore and have these customers coming back for the experience, which is what we want. You know, changing that concept through education is our main goal. And uh, having Elisa and Salvatore with that experience from the West Coast has been tremendous. I was just having the conversation this morning, actually. I uh, It's weird as an attorney, right? Because like as an attorney, I, I can't advise or assist in the violation of a law, obviously. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you give those disclaimers when you do a consultation with someone, but at the same time, outside of the disclaimer, my feeling is, is like, and I get worried when someone calls me for a consultation and doesn't have someone involved who was involved either in another market or previously, as bad as it may sound, in the illicit market. Not that I can currently represent you if you are in the illicit market, which is part of the disclaimer, but what I bring that up because it jumps out to me that you guys have prior experience in a more 
call it a mature state in terms of being around for recreational in Washington. So what, if anything, have you taken from the experience in Washington and applied in New York would be my first question. I would say really, for me at least, um, being that storefront where a customer can walk in and have a bunch of questions and have those questions answered and really dial in on that individual customer and what their profiles are, what they enjoy, what they want to smoke, what they don't want to smoke. Those are, to me, things that are very important um, in guiding them in the process. You know, you have some strains of cannabis, some different aromas and flavors and smells that can cause people to, you know, have anxiety or not have a pleasant experience. So to me, it's, it's, it's very important to find out what they like, but also what they don't like. <laughs> so I, I think um, the biggest takeaway for me that I was able to bring over there um, that, that, that we can now thrive in in New York is just full transparency, um, the full information and having that profile and, and being able to guide the customer in the direction based off of asking them questions, you know, about what they like. Um, I think that's very important in, in this market. How about you, Alyssa? Is there anything? I would agree. Um, definitely giving like a more personal experience to customers. I think part of that too, as far as uh, legal market goes is of course following compliance but with that comes uh, having accurate testing on products um, vape cartridges for example um, most products are going to have like a certificate of analysis but vape cartridges especially people want to know what what's in the concentrates they're consuming and when you have a really good certificate of analysis that helps you to show the customer uh, what they're consuming and to know that they're having a safe product and how do you, like, Andres, how did you guys all meet? How did this come to be in terms of the connection between the three of you? All right, I'll start with my my brief story. I um, I got, let's call it, stranded in the U.S. back in 2001 due to um, 9-11 uh, to stay in the country and solve my situation. And then my brother came along. We've been here um, ever since. Um, my brother, Santiago, he's a mental health counselor. And through his high school years, he got to meet Tommy and Salvatore, um, very, very good high school buddies. And I was kind of playing that, that role with my brother. So I got to meet them and, and out of every friend of, of, of my brother's circle, these guys are the ones that stood through time and, and he went to the military, he came back now, he's a, he's a, a vet and the whole idea was coming together. Tommy, you know, being the kind soul he is, he's in the uh, massage therapy business, and he is very in tune with with vibrations, and you know, he's used with cannabis also helps in that field. Then my brother, after he came from the military, um, kind of attests that cannabis has helped him, you know, his day to day life and and throughout its all benefits, and. Uh, that's how we, you know, got to the idea. We wanted to be part of that movement here. Um, actually, my brother and I went out to the West Coast. We spent uh, like a week and a half there, just canvassing, visiting stores, feeling how a legal market looks like, um, and uh, and then that's how we got it rolling. Then Salvatore made the decision of coming back to New York, you know, hometown, and and. They get that experience going here and blessing us with, with all that for us to, to take off in a different direction from everybody else in the bunch. 
So, Sal, the, you going out to Washington was completely unrelated to this venture, to Holistic Oasis? Yeah, it was just we, um, me and Alyssa, we, you know, we were in our, our mid-20s at that time. We wanted to travel and see what the rest of the, you know, at least what some of the country had to offer. We, we uh, Seattle was a place that we uh, really wanted to go for a long time. We visited there in 2017. We loved it, so we wanted to move there. Uh, so we, we ended up going there in August of 2019. Um lived there a few years and then, you know, came back here to New York in January of uh, 2022. Um, and then kind of circling back to, you know, how we all met. Yeah, I've, I've known uh, Santiago and Tom and, and Andres. Uh, you know, we, we decided to, to be partners in, in, in through this venture, um, you know, within the last couple of years. But I go 12 years back with them. That's really cool. Um... Where and where is Holistic Oasis located within New York now? Westchester County. Westchester County. Yeah. Can you tell me? And never anybody's welcome to answer this question. What are you? Do you guys have an issued license? Where's that at? And what's like the experience been like to this point in terms of getting a license in New York? Listen, do you want to up in or Andres? Okay. Yeah, I'll hop in. Um, so we don't currently have a license. Um, they're currently doing card licenses. I believe they just issued a few, um, maybe like a couple hundred, I think yesterday or the day before. Um, so we're we're not currently um, a licensed dispensary yet. We're hoping to have a license in the future um, and have a retail space in Westchester, New York. Um, but we don't currently have one. So then we are in the process. I'm sorry, let me to, to touch oh, sure. you out. No, I want you to. Go ahead. We started, uh, you know, one, two, three kind of step thing. Um, started looking at possible locations here in the Westchester area, um, focusing into maybe white plains and those, you know, vicinities. And uh, felt the need to just get legal counseling. We did that. We brought a, a good lawyer on board. And uh, um, according to what the OCM popped yesterday, um, it looks like October is going to be our our opening line for for social equity applicants, which we fall in multiple categories. So hoping that we get everything together by then and and get the license and open in soon, 2024, if not before. Yeah, I, I'm glad to hear you guys hired an attorney, not again, another probably self-serving statement, but I, I think that is important because to me, the hardest part of getting licensed or one of the hardest parts is finding a property because it's not like just you know finding any old property you have to find a property in a jurisdiction that's going to allow you to do what you want to do in an area of town where you can do what you want to do so can you guys tell me like what's your experience been like in terms of sourcing and finding a property Tyler, you want to take it yeah so so we've been kind of just you know scouting around all throughout westchester county really pinpointing exactly where we want to be it has been, you know, it has been a challenge. It's, um, you know, once people hear cannabis, there's, there's a, you know, a cannabis tax that goes along with that. They, they want to, because they, they know that we're very limited in banking and, and what we're able to do. So it, there's, there's a significant amount of challenge there in trying to find a place and then also coordinating with the town to make sure that they're okay with us being there. And then also coordinating with the state. Um, you know, we, we, we had found a, an area a property that, that we were interested in. We, we, we tried speaking with the town so that way we can have permission from them in writing. Um, they said, Hey, you know, we'll give you that permission when you have the license, but the license, you know, says it's best to, to have that ahead of time. So it's always, 
what came first, the chicken or the egg with with uh, with this um you know with this venture and us trying to find property. That that's I would say that's been our biggest challenge. We have a few places in mind, nothing set in stone yet. Uh, we we know where we want to be. It's just a matter of um, you know us trying to get there now. Yeah, you stole the words out of my mouth with the chicken and the egg uh, reference. Because in most jurisdictions, you have to get licensed at the local level. New York, and I, I can see what they're trying to do. And maybe you guys have experience with this after having been in Washington. But like, for example, in California, a big roadblock right now is the lack of retail opportunities at the local level. And I think New York was trying to avoid that. But they kind of, it's kind of a weird approach. Like the local jurisdictions can basically give their opinion as to whether they support or don't support a given project. And I believe they can do, they can put into place local like time, place and manner jurisdictions or uh, uh, restrictions, I should say, via zoning and whatnot. Um, but it's, it's kind of, I usually hate the, the phrase gray area in cannabis because so few things really are a gray area. But that is one for me where it's a little unclear to me um, the approach that's being taken at the local level, but I think you guys are doing the right thing. I think you have to be having open and honest dialogues, not only with with landlords, but with local powers that being decision decision makers, because you don't, you know, the law or regulations can say one thing, but if you have a consensus within a community that they do not want you there, you're going to have a hell of a time getting your doors open. So. Right. And that's, that's been a big challenge. You know, there's, um, without, without saying the name of the place, we, we wanted to be in one town and, and, uh, so they had, they, they allowed for cannabis dispensaries. However, they, they had zoned it out and where they zoned it out was one specific corner of the town where there really wasn't anything else going on. It was just a bunch of corporate offices. There really wasn't, there really aren't any, um, m- you know, big storefronts or anywhere that would be ideal for us to open a dispensary. And even after looking into it, uh, I mean, at least at the time when we were looking there, there weren't any availability for rent or um, purchase, you know, in that specific zone. It almost felt intentional. It's 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 like they were saying, yes, you can be here, but no, you can't be here. Yeah, that happens so often. I mean, it's one thing if you're a cultivator or some type of producer, like a manufacturer or distro, you can be in a set off like industrial area and not really have it matter. But if you're at a storefront, like you, you don't want to be you know, in the sticks, you know, right. and it's, oftentimes that's the way it works out, unfortunately, with the way. Yeah. And even from the safety point of view, like if they think about it, they don't want to be having uh, a response team going half an hour from, from their headquarters. They will like, you will think they will like to have a close eye in a brand new operation that has been so, you know, under, under the wraps for so long. And, uh, I think they're just not approaching it right. And the other thing is we as operators have to be smart because again, this, this is a politics game. You have to tell them what they really want to hear and you have to listen. One thing is showing up, but you have to listen. What are their concerns? Then grab a piece of paper back to the old school and just draw those concerns and what your answer will be to those concerns and present it in a, in, in a way that they are actually meeting you in a midpoint, you know, from the discussion. Again, this is medicine, it's a plant, right? Now it has become a trouble that at least because of society has put it there and the loss. So playing their game, one thing you can tell them, and this is like math 101, your taxes 
in your properties will get reduced because this is a high tax business and it's going back to the towns. So as an administrator in a town, you should have a little bit of, 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 of knowledge that you have to know where your revenue is coming from, how you're going to capitalize on that. And they take control in a certain situation, you know, meet the people who are the operators. So we have, we have been shown, you know, showing up at these meetings, we have been talking to people and, you know, expressing our voice into, again, we don't want to be on the sticks. And from the safety point of view, as I just mentioned, from the tax point of view, from the property point of view, there's a lot of points of views that you can, you can touch and make their thinking a little wider because it's just not reminded. It's just solely comes down to. You know what I think the misconception is though, with, from the applicant perspective, I think the misconception is that all these local jurisdictions are extremely well-funded and knowledgeable about cannabis. I can't tell you how receptive local decision makers have been that I have sat with. A lot of them are like hungry for information because a lot of them don't have, you know, the money to really throw at like putting together a comprehensive cannabis program. And that's honestly a lot, the reason why I think a lot of local jurisdictions are at least in part why they're apprehensive to open it up. I can't understate or overstate the value of sitting down with local decision makers and actually beyond educating them, it's also putting a face to a name, which is also educating themselves. Cause I think for being honest with ourselves, I think people have a, a perception of cannabis, you know, that it's, it's, it's like a criminal enterprise or something like that when it's not even close to being that. So I think sitting down with local decision makers, showing them that you're serious and that you have your stuff together goes a very long way. I think a big part, um, a lot of obstacles are from the community perspective is that they don't understand what a shop can look like. And if you get familiar with the people in your community, they'll be more open to it. Um, I think a big part of that is getting to know the community that you're living in and having a conversation with people one-on-one to see that if it's, if it's a more welcoming environment, you know, we hope when we open our shop that people can come in and they can ask those questions and then they can feel welcome and that it's not going to be a scary place. You know, we see so many liquor stores um, in the area and we think if liquor stores are here, w- what's the fear about? So when you can have a conversation with people in your community um, and you show them who you are and you show them the education and the knowledge and how to use these products properly and how to do it safely, I think that makes it a little bit easier for people to come to terms that, you know, this the shop could open here, but we want to be part of the community and we want you to feel welcome here. Right. And I think a big concern as well is, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, I don't want um, children or, or minors being able to purchase cannabis. And of course, you know, that's that's something that we, we, we're going to be very strict and compliant as far as making sure that every customer that walks through those doors are 21 and older. Um, we're going to have three ID checks, which is, you know, it seems excessive, but it's just to ensure that that no one under each, you know, under 21 ever enters our shop. And I think that you know, there, there's this conception that, oh, if we put cannabis shops all over, then it's going to be too accessible and too easy for kids. I think I think it's quite the opposite. I mean, if you have shops and all these retail locations where you have to present an ID in order to get into the building, um, it's, it makes it harder for, for, for uh, kids and teenagers and, and, and younger people to have access to, to cannabis. Um, 
and you know we're we're trying to make sure we're doing everything the right way and keeping it for 21 up and over and um it's important and i think that if we're able to talk to people and sit people down one-on-one and explain this um i think i think that goes a long way you know this isn't what operators typically want to hear because you already have so much to live up to to begin with but the longer you operate, the more you realize that the regs are the floor for compliance. This mm-hmm. right. leading to your point about having multiple checks. And actually, to your point, Alyssa, about engaging with the community, what it reminds me of is buffers. If you're in the application process, and I across the country between Massachusetts, California, and uh, New York now, I've seen anywhere from like 500 feet to 1,000 feet buffers between other businesses, as well as sensitive uses like parks. Um, rehab facilities, anywhere children will congregate, whatever the hell that means. So schools, obviously, K through 12. Uh, my opinion on it is like, if there's a church 600 feet from your dispensary and the buffer says 500 feet, I'm not resting well at night that because that church is outside the, the 500 feet, that I'm okay. Like to your point, Alyssa, I strongly recommend that if you're an applicant to engage with the, the businesses around you, even if you think it's not going to, you know, they're not going to show protesting your license application or anything. I think that really goes a long way as opposed to them getting noticed elsewhere um, about your, your meeting for the approval of your license. Better to have the conversation ahead of time and be upfront about the intention to open a dispensary or any other type of I think that's where transparency is so important. Um, like I said, we want people to come in and we want them to ask questions and we want to be honest about our procedures and how we operate. Um, you know, in addition to three ID checks, there's also sale limits. Um, so if someone were to come in and, you know, they can only buy so much product. So that's also limiting any chances of it getting to a younger audience. Awesome. So tell me more about Holistic Oasis. What dis- like distinguishes you guys from other dispensaries in New York? I think the biggest thing that would differentiate us is is just our um, our approach. So we we really want to be educationally focused. We want to have human interaction at the forefront. You know, there's so many places now. It's so trendy to just stick a bunch of iPads everywhere and say, "Hey, you know, here's a menu. Kind of figure it out." No, we want we want to be a place that's welcoming that people walk into. Some people don't realize, like, if, if you're if you're new to cannabis and you are interested in checking out a dispensary, that could be very daunting and scary for people to walk in and and not know what you know. You don't know what you don't know. So for us to be able to have educated um, product specialists, it's very important for us to to make sure that we really um, put a lot of time into training the people that are going to be working at Holistic Oasis, so they are able to answer um, you know a large variety of questions for customers. I think that. You know, iPads there and, and, and technology usage is, you know, it's a tool. It's great to have that as an option, but that should never be the, uh, the you know, the at the forefront. I think us having that human interaction, it really goes a long way. And then, you know, at least from my experience working in Seattle, I had a, a 20 to 30 people that I knew, you know, on a first name basis. And I, I knew what they liked and what they didn't like. And, you know, the idea of bud tender, it, it's a play on words from from bartender, right? And bartenders know... They're, you know, they're, they're, they're clients. They know, they know the drinks that they like. So for us to be able to have people walk in and say, Hey, John, how are you? Good to see you again. You know, that type of thing. It really does go a long way. And that also, um, establishes a relationship way different 
way different because now you get to know your customers. You get a new batch of something. You can actually target these customers, email these customers that you know that's the product they're going to like, have these first dips and whatever it is. I mean, I know um, discount programs, loyalty programs, all that is kind of limited, but you still have to have that special touch without giving anything for free, which is just the experience. You know, you can say anything, you can sell them anything. They will remember just how you made them feel. And that's a phrase that's been around forever, but it's so good because I, we do our canvassing ever since the first store opened, How's It Works, and Sal, Sal, Sal and I were in the line for, for that first day, the first cannabis store in New York opening. So we were making history as well as customers. We're standing in line, you know, waiting for hours, almost didn't make it. We made it. We bought our, our cannabis there. And, uh, and, and, and ever since we've been trying to support all the opening stores in New York City. But along with that, we have experience from the low to the top. And I understand the business is new itself. The stores are brand new, but that customer service has been around forever. It's hospitality, it's customer services, restaurants. So if you're operating a business about customer service, you got to get customer service. And, and in some of them, it's just non-existent. I had, today I have a mixed experience. I went to a dispensary, I'm not going to name it, early in the morning, grab what I needed. And, 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 you know, I had that, the location is so good, but it has nice lighting. And then it was only three guys in there, but they're all three guys were so nice and, and trying to get to know me. I was really shocked because I wanted to buy just one thing, but the experience was like that. And then at the end, it was a little thing because the guy was distracted. So the ID check was kind of a heavy and I'm like, oh my God, I could show him my grandfather's ID. He wouldn't even know. So that kind of stuff, you got to really dial into that that one-on-one relationship with the customer from entrance point to final sell point. And it only takes a couple more minutes, you know, it only takes a couple more minutes. So I think that's time well spent in this particular business because that's how we're going to make a difference. I think further on that with the customer service aspect is the variety of products. Um, You know, it is very intimidating for some people. So I think it's so important to find which product is right for which customer. Um, you know, even talking to my grandma, she deals with a lot of pain and she she's using some things that she got from, you know, a medical dispensary, but she doesn't understand what she's using necessarily. You know, she just goes into the dispensary and they give her what they think is appropriate. Um, and, you know, she doesn't understand the product that she's using. And I often think like maybe there's something that would work better for her, um, but it's hard to get her access to those at this point. And to really give her an understanding of what products would work and why. And, you know, one of us had gone into a dispensary um, at one point and it was for, I think, a beverage and it was only five milligrams. And so the bartender kind of discouraged us from purchasing that product saying, oh, it's only five milligrams. You want something stronger. But if you're a new cannabis user, that five milligrams, you know, that can be very effective. So I think it's all about finding what the person's experience is, what product would fit best with them and helping them to find the right experience that they're looking for. And I think sometimes, especially if you just have a menu to look at, you don't really know what product would be best for your experience. And that's where talking to a bud tender and getting that personal interaction is really important. Well, it's like minimum effective dose, right? Even beyond the fact you don't want to get someone blitzed the first time they're using cannabis accidentally. It's almost like, it's almost like working out or like doing cardio. Like if I, 
go from not doing any cardio to doing an hour of cardio a day and my body catches up and gets used to that amount of cardio, it's like, where do you go from an hour? Are you going to do two hours a day? Like it gets to a point um, mm -hmm. where it's not realistic. And it's almost similar with dosage in cannabis. If you start off at 25 milligram, you're setting a higher floor in terms of what's going to actually, in fact, have an impact or a positive impact when you go to use the product, I would imagine. Do I have that right? You think, Melissa? Yeah, absolutely. And to go back to, to the customer service, I just, it, it reminds me of like being a really good athlete in a small town and then you go to college and then you're surrounded by people of the same caliber, right? You can go back and forth about whether it's a really, it's a huge advantage to be first to market in a state like New York. But what worries me is like, do you develop bad habits that you're able to get away with? Because in the moment, you're a, you're a big fish in a small pod, but that's going to change very quickly. Because to your point, Alyssa, they gave out 200 plus retail licenses, I think, yesterday. Um, and I, I think we kind of overcomplicate it because it's cannabis, highly regulated awful taxes at multiple levels of government, but at the very core of it, it's, it's just basic customer service. And it's, it's, I think it's about a customer knowing what to expect time after time. And Sal, Alyssa, you guys will appreciate this because are, do you guys know Dutch brothers coffee? I think it's, yes. Yeah. All right. So my girlfriend gives me a hard time because I drive 20 minutes, 30 minutes, depending on traffic to get a black iced coffee from there. So like they have all these extravagant drinks and like you would think I'd probably get one of those, but literally black coffee. But I go back because the people, the kids that work there are super nice and it's consistent. I know what to expect in terms of the flavor of the coffee and how nice everybody's going to be. And it's like a, it's not a cheap coffee either, but I think it speaks to consistent customer service over a long time, time horizon is going to be what makes a business money more so than like playing the race to the bottom discount game and all that, that sort of thing. And that's not to say discounts don't have a place within a program. Don't get me wrong, but um, there's got to be a solid base in place of customer service if you're going to have sustainable success, I think. That's such a great point, and and it's so true. And and we you know we all see that I believe in our daily lives as well. For example, me and Alyssa did <laughs> exactly the same thing today. We live in Yonkers and drove all the way to Tarrytown, which is you know could be a 20, 25 minute drive for 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 a good cup of coffee <laughs> because it's it's a place that we go to and 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 we love going there. And they always provide good service. They make excellent coffee, so that makes that makes such a difference. And I, I think that. Um, I think that's something that we'll see in, in, in dispensaries as well. It doesn't matter if you have a dispensary five minutes away if you go in there and you don't feel welcome. What did you guys do in Seattle that you would say was like contributed to the fact that you had return customers? Because when you said to me, I knew the names of you know, 20, 30 people, that means you have people coming back. What would you say were the factors that went into the, to being able to achieve that? I think for me, it was it was uh, the importance of listening. Um, you know, we all get caught up in, in in speaking and speaking, but it's important to listen to what the customer wants um, and to follow up and, and remember what what they got last time and say, hey, you know, last time you were in here, I, I I got you some wedding cake. What did you think of that? How did you like that? And if they tell me they didn't like that, then I know that I can steer them in a different direction and I can fine tune, um, you know, what what they're looking for and really steer them in the in the right direction i'm a big fan personally of of grams um i know eighth is the standard and, and that's great but i loved 
for myself at least, uh, purchasing grams so that way I can try so many different things um, quickly. I mean, we had a drawer in, in our apartment in Seattle that had, we had 150 different strains at a given time, just at the ready, just trying something new every day, taking notes on it um, and really getting obsessive over it. You know, it was, it was a lot of fun. That was the first time we had that much access to, to so many different varieties of strains, flour and concentrates and wax and edibles. And uh, we wanted to try everything. So I think that um, having that gave me a really good idea. I would take mental notes on every, you know, every time I, I would try something and go, okay, this made me feel this way. So I think that if, if um, someone came in, I can steer them in this direction or that way. I think another big aspect of forming those relationships with customers is asking for feedback, saying, you know what, I'm going to give you this because this is something that I enjoy. Tell me if this is in your category of things that you want to try. If it's not, tell me what you do like. And from there, again, you, you work with that person regularly. And so the next time they come in, hey, Steve, how did you like that ounce that I gave you? And, you know, if he goes through an ounce in a couple of days, then, you know, he really enjoyed that. You make a mental note of that. Um, and just having those conversations and those interactions, always asking for feedback from the customer and also also asking for criticism because, you know, something that I enjoy may not be something that you enjoy. And that's OK. It's it's more about finding what works for that person and trying to figure out what they like and people really appreciate that so when you can ask people about their experience and you know have a conversation about it especially on a regular basis and i think a huge part of that too is asking people for help that you work with because sometimes you like things and you realize that sort of their palette is something that may not be for you so if i am not a huge fan of diesel for example but I know that Sal really likes diesel. I can say, hey, my customer is looking for diesel. We don't have a diesel strain in. But is there something similar that you can recommend to the customer based on your experience that you might like? And getting your coworkers and other people in involved in that conversation really helps build that relationship with your customers on a bigger scale. you have anything to add, Andres? I mean, I know you weren't out there with what and Washington with these guys, but in terms of the approach that Holistic intends on taking, do you have anything to add to that? No, I think we said it all. It's so based to to listen to your customer what they want, you know, find dial to that, and 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 just get them the right product. And again, if all in the industry abide by this, from from the um, growers to us retailers. Is going to reflect that. Like you as a grower, knowing your customers, we the retailers, you you know, you know what they sell. You know, it's a game of numbers. SQ sells. What's what what flavor of your crop? It's really sticking out there. And then game goes a little more. I'm sorry. Then also the genetics right now are crazy. Like I'm an old head man. I grew up with wheat. I didn't grow up with all these flavors. I didn't have those options. And as, as, as a person on that profile, I would love to walk into the dispensary and for them to explain to me that this is not my grandpa's weed anymore. And we don't need 13 joints. Maybe we do, but we have something else here. We infuse uh, diamonds that I've never heard in my life. It may work for me. Maybe I don't want to carry a, 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 an ounce of weed. I want to carry two or three of those infused joints for whatever endeavor I'm, I'm just signing for, a hike, I'm going fishing. But it's that knowledge that it's really not getting 
to the people from the streets. And we have that opportunity at a store level. We have to capitalize on that, make the customer feel, you know, a different experience if he's an avid consumer or a new customer into it. Um, and at least I was saying, what works for you may not work for me. Some people may say, you know what, I, um, what, what are you using it for? You want a party or you're just using it therapeutically. Like I need, I'm, I'm in pain, but I don't want to get high. Now she knows a lot about CBD. That would be my coworker to go to and say, you know what? She may be able to guide you through sort of products that we have here, CBD, not THC containing me. I gotta get high, but you're gonna get the benefit that you're looking for. So again, back to knowledge and customer service. I think likability is underrated too. Like, you know, we, in the same way we assume regulators have these re like resources in hand and are like highly educated on everything cannabis, same deal with consumers. I think we assume that, you know, the average consumers knows more about cannabis or is as comfortable with cannabis as we are, right? When that may not be true. And I, you know, we can go on and on about like how social media shuts down cannabis accounts, but I never understood and don't get me wrong, I, I love looking at pictures of flower. I think it's cool, but I never understood why, especially consumer-facing retailers, didn't just get on there and put out like basic education info about like cannabinoids, terpenes, the whole nine. And even because even if you think it's oh, this is like, you know, everybody already knows this, which I think is probably false in and of itself. The person isn't going to buy, I don't think, because you taught them what a cannabinoid was. They're going to buy because the way you present comes off as something that makes them feel more comfortable and more apt to come into the store. Um, Correct. To us, we'll be giving them tools. Like some of them may not know what a tricon is or what uh, a flavor profile is. If it's a terpene or trichome, what gives that to the flower? So you give them those tools to know, and then they have their own noses. They can go sniff. Feel that and then remember, oh, this is what Andrea or what Sal or what Elisa was telling me a holistic that I should smell. And they may be another dispensary, but they're still thinking about you, what you told. So is that thing that you empower the customer to use their senses, the same way we learned, to get familiar with, with his taste buds, what he likes, and maybe like me, I, I, I don't do anything but flower. But lately, through all my knowledge and my coworkers, I'm like, hmm. Look at these concentrates. Now I feel the difference in flavor and I love it. So that knowledge, it just goes a long way. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, to, to what you were saying a little bit, Ryan, I think there's a fine line between educating a customer and coming across as a know-it-all, right? Like no one ever wants to feel dumb when they walk into a shop. No, Oh, what do you mean? You don't know what a trichome is or, or a terpene or, or that there's different strains of cannabis flower. No one ever wants to feel like they're, you know, unintelligent or that they don't know. And um, so there's a, there really is a fine line with that. And I think that, um, you know, having patience and smiling at customers and, and just being a nice personality and someone welcoming when you walk into that shop really does go a long way. You know, and this isn't cannabis specifically, but how, you know, it feels bad when you go somewhere, anywhere, really anywhere where there's customer service involved and you feel like you're a burden just by being in that building. No one ever wants to feel that way. Yeah, until you establish a relationship with the customer, I think you should just assume they're starting from square one and let them tell you otherwise. Because you're right, you don't want to alienate anybody. And I, even if you don't buy the likability argument, you guys just saw it yesterday. There's going to be 200 more retailers in the in the near future. Like at a certain point, you have to differentiate yourself. And I think one of the easiest ways to do that is to put, put a face to a name for consumers. Because by definition, 
that's gonna you're gonna distinguish yourself by being you within your content on social media, the website, wherever. Right. It's so easy for owners to, you know, kick their feet up and let everyone else do the work for them. But we want to be the, the, the forefront. We want to, we want to, we don't want to just be owners. We want to be leaders. You know, we want to be out there with our employees. And, and I think that that goes a long way. People, you know, like to buy, like you said, from, you know, from faces they recognize. I think another huge aspect, you know, to put a face to a name is to really understand your growers and your processors and who's really supplying your product. Again, certificate of analysis will tell you everything that's in there. But more than that, if you know who's providing your product and you know that they put care and time into that plant that they're growing or to their process, and you really understand who that company is, and you can then provide that knowledge to your customers. Um, we see, you know, there's a lot of bigger brands that, you know, we don't have that personal experience with them, but I can think of 10 different brand names that I knew from Washington that, you know, I really know those companies and I know their quality of product and I know their backstory and I know why they're doing it. And when you have that relationship with your providers of your product, and then you can give that information to your customers to really help them understand where is this coming from? This is coming from a town, you know, two hours away. And these people have been around um you know since medical days um they have a family it's a family-run business and you really know that they're putting time and the quality and the care into their plans i think that makes a huge difference as far as consumption goes because now you feel safe consuming those products in addition to having the documentation showing you that this really is a safe product um you know you can you know what you're putting into your body that's a perfect segue into what I wanted to ask you guys anyway. So my question was going to be along those same lines, have you guys, I know you're not licensed yet, but uh, a red flag or something I talk to like with clients that are getting licensed that I always bring up is obviously like you can't be entering into a contract or doing anything that otherwise violates the law in your jurisdiction in terms of unlicensed activity. But to me, like, I don't want to get a license, open my door and then figure out who I want to work with. I, I think it's a good idea for applicants to be networking with uh, other businesses throughout the supply chain. Again, making sure you're not doing anything you're not allowed to do, obviously, but to establish those relationships now. And I think it's even more important in a new state like New York, which may not have the volume of suppliers. I, I shouldn't say that actually, they have the opposite problem right now, given the conditional cultivators who transition. But right. I think it's huge, even before you get licensed to at least network, again, put a face to a name and have an idea of maybe who you want to work with when you get licensed. So have you guys gotten a chance to meet with producers or just other, other companies throughout the supply chain yet? Yeah, we have. Uh, we have visited actually uh, a farm in upstate New York. They're already in business in the open stores. Very nice um, operation. And also, since the very beginning, uh, I've, I've been advocating for putting a face out there to your brand. And that's what we've been doing. You know, as many events as we can uh, assist, we just go, network. Make sure that uh, all the big players know who we are, know what we're about, know what we are planning on, 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 on the near future. 
that's the best way. That is the best way. I mean, I know Event Bright has been very supportive on events, you know, doing the logistics and the ticketing and all that. So the companies that have um, facilitated the venues and um, it's been great. So tell me if I'm wrong. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, we, we've been at a bunch of events all throughout the year, you know, trying to put our name out there, our face out there and um, talk with as many growers, producers, um, you know, other licensed dispensary operators as well. Um, you know, I don't look at anybody as competition. I look at all of us as collaborators in, in, in the same space. And I think that if we can all collaborate and, and learn from each other, we just make this industry that much better as a whole. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't feel threatened by anyone else. I think we all, we all can coexist in this field together. And um, yeah, to what Andres was saying with the events, you know, we've, we've been going to a lot of events, uh, mostly in, in, in New York City, but, you know, kind of all throughout New York as well. We're going to one up in Albany at the end of September. We have one in the Hamptons in Long, on Long Island um, coming up in August that we're going to be tabling. So that'll be a lot of fun. Um, it, it does go a long way. It's very important. And it's, it's, it's not just important to make, to, to make connections with any grower. It's important to make sure we're uh, making connections with, with growers that meet our standards. Well, I feel like this is almost what you're getting at too, Alyssa. If we want to take it back to customer retention, we'll take it back to Dutch Bros. Like you want to be working with a supplier who's going to consistently give you the product that they give you time and time again, because that translates into a customer having knowing what the expectation is when they buy a gram of XYZ strain. Do you agree with that, Alyssa? I feel like that was maybe what you were getting to as well. Yeah, I do definitely agree. Um, you know, it's some something important to consider too. You know, right now, I believe New York has only outdoor growers. And so we're really reliant on the weather pattern. And that's been a huge obstacle, I know, for growers. Um, and it's not just in New York, you know, even in Washington, it you know, the weather is a huge factor. So I believe right now we are outdoor only in New York. Um, and so that plays a big role. But when you really understand your growers and you know that they're still doing their best and they still have that quality, even if, you know, something goes wrong with that crop, you know that they are going to be honest about it. You know that they're not going to give you that bad product because, they, again, they care about the quality that they're putting out. Um, and that's a huge part of the relationship. And now that we do have some shops open you know we've been going to several of them um and just seeing like what products are out there already and from a couple of years ago there's so many more products out there now like drinks especially i've seen a lot of drinks that we didn't have just a few years ago um when we were in washington the quantity and the quality of that particular product has really gone up and so when you really get to know your brands and your products, even if there's an inconsistency due to, you know, factors that we can't control, like the weather, you still know that the product they're providing is going to be the best product that they can offer. Is there anything we haven't covered you guys that you wanted to, to speak to? I always ask this kind of open-ended question. I feel like we've covered a, a decent amount of ground here, but I think the only thing that we haven't covered is the uphill battle with the banking situation. I think that's something that, uh, at some level, um, um, just, just the regulations, the, the states have to do something, you know, because 
we just don't have that support at a national level. Uh, so it just gets a little harder for us to support the the, the size of this business in, in cash only. I know there is multiple payment options out there now, but it's been one of the biggest obstacles. So um, hence, getting credit lines, getting funding, getting capital support, it's been just another issue. But again, we're navigating through it and, and doors are opening. Now we have um, Green Check Verified with a bunch of members in there that are actually providing the cannabis business with those services that are so, so desperately uh, in need. So I think that's something worth mentioning. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Green Check Verified, I, I, uh, you know, uh, I really like the guys, but outside of liking them, I, I don't really get anything. I not really. I don't get anything out of referring them. But I've just in terms of um, people that have reached out to me and even clients, I've sent that to them. It, they seem to do a nice job of finding a good solution for you on the banking front, um, as well as others. It sounds like they're they're expanding their marketplace to other services in addition to banking. So you kind of. That's exactly what I was going to say. So I'm glad that we got that out there. Um, what other challenges are you guys coming across outside of banking in the in the here and now? Outside of banking and uh, uh, local politics, I will say the venues because putting up a nice uh, event for two three hundred people, like the showroom dispensary events here in New York, they've been all over the road. Um, Dodge has been partnered with them and some other companies. Uh, Taya push um, going around the municipalities, showing how a dispensary works, having a mug dispensary on site, has been very, very, very educational, very nice. Uh, but getting the venues is being held because nobody wants to rent a space for a cannabis business because this is the thing. Go back to the perception; they think it's a bunch of hippies, which I love. It's a relaxed culture, nothing against them, but that's what they expect: a bunch of guys and bums with long hair. Smoking weed for four hours, and it's not the case though. We're business people as well. We're family guys. We just want this business to be a normal business. It's another product. It's another product, and I'm planning that. So finding venues to get together, to 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 actually get together with the community, because localities only let you use their facilities or or, or library for one or two locations, but we need to be in this relationship with the communities and we need to have these spaces to openly talk, have a cup of coffee, I don't know, donuts, something. It's just not, it's about cannabis, but it's not about smoking cannabis all the time. We need to sit down and have the conversations and, and there is a stigma around it too. So it just makes it just as much difficult. Well, and add to that, that you're in one of the most expensive commercial real estate markets in the world, if not the, so that I imagine adds things. So know the cherry and the ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> I would imagine so. Do you uh, you have anything to add, Sal or Alyssa? So one thing I just wanted to add to that, you know, Andre was just talking about the the perception and and uh, you know hippies and this and that. And um, you know, my experience working in a dispensary in Seattle was that there is no, um, there's no hey customers look like this or talk like that. It's you never know who's walking through the, those doors. It, it's it could be anybody. That's as long you know, of course, as long as they're twenty one and older. Um, I never had a, a type of customer. There's, there's a variety. It's, it's from people of all walks of life. And that to me is what's so beautiful about cannabis. I think it can help, um, improve the lives of so many different people.
Yeah, and I think that's the same message when you're dealing with local powers that being decision makers that you need to get across and meeting with them. Because again, so often the perception is that this is like a criminal enterprise or it's not being taken seriously. Um, and I, you know, uh, that's just not the case. By definition, <laughs> it's not the case with all the hoops you have to jump through to get licensed and to stay licensed. So I think just sitting down with people, it can go a long way. Absolutely. You have any final notes to add, Alyssa? No, I completely agree um, with that last point. You know, I've seen so many different types of people um, using it. There's really no set standard for what kind of customer you're going to get coming in. Um, like I said, even my grandma, she she's like, what can you help me find? And, you know, she's much older than I am. And people are surprised when I tell them that my grandma's a consumer. But there's no set, you know, image for what a consumer looks like because, you know, I feel, again, as long as they're 21 and over, there can really be a product for everyone that can help them in some way, even if that is a CBD product, even if it is not about being intoxicated, but just to use a product that will help you sleep or feel at peace. I'm 100%. I couldn't agree more. Um, so where would people find you? Where would people find Holistic Oasis? And where would people find you individually? Because I'm going to, this will ultimately be posted in the LinkedIn group, um, as well as on Instagram and stuff. And what I'm hoping is that other people that have been on the podcast, which I've had a number of businesses from New York on there, my hope is that it could, it'll be its own networking thing anyways, and that you guys maybe can connect outside of just getting Instagram followers or something like that. So how do we connect with the business as well as you guys individually? So we're on Instagram, uh, Holistic Oasis Can Co, C-A-N-N Co. Um, personally, you can find me at uh, Sal the Great underscore on Instagram. Um, we're at all we're at events, you know, all the time. If you want to meet us in person, we're going to be at the Cannabis Expo, the Can Expo in, in on the Hamptons uh, on Long Island coming up August 18th. So if you want to meet us face to face, we'll be there. Sounds like a rough venue. <laughs> We also do have our website up. Um, it's www.holistic-oasis.com. So you can find us in there. Um, our email is info at holistic-oasis.com or you can find me at alyssa at holistic-oasis.com. Um, that's my email address. Same here. You guys can find me at andres at holistic-oasis.com. And uh, Salvatore and Alisa already mentioned our uh, information on Instagram. And um, our website, we also LinkedIn. And uh, go ahead, follow us, hit those buttons, give us those likes. We hope to see you soon in the Westchester area. And Ryan, I just want to say thank you very much for the time. It's been a great conversation, and uh, hopefully we have it more often with more, more, more people. We need to keep this conversation alive for many more years to come. Yeah, no, my plan, I, first of all, I appreciate you guys hopping on. It was great. I My plan, though, is to probably have operators and applicants, whoever, on a year from now or something just to kind of have an update to see how things have progressed. So maybe we'll have you guys on again in the near future. Absolutely. We'd love to be. We'd love to. Awesome. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Ryan.